0: What's up, everybody, and welcome into the Under the Hood podcast. Childhood Under the Hood with you again on a Saturday. Every weekend I give you something, just saying what's up to you. Appreciate you guys listening to Cap and Jay Hood show I do with uh, David Kaplan every morning between seven and ten a.m. Central Time on ESPN One Thousand and the ESPN Chicago app. Have you downloaded that ESPN Chicago app? You should right there on your device on your iPad. It's just cool because it's right there for you. You'll be able to pick up all the podcasts and listen to the shows live. So I just hope that you get a chance to uh, listen to the show because we're having a ball, having a blast being able to entertain you. Um, You know, just to start off with, just playing a little Gucci. Gucci Mane and Jeezy, right? I I love music. I don't talk enough really about that, but it's something special about that trap music. It's just something where you can't be in a certain mood sometimes, but that trap music is just funny. If you are on Instagram, like I am at Hood, you know that sometimes it pops up is these versus battles between two musical artists. And this week was Gucci Mane against Jeezy. And it's just kind of funny. You know, one guy is really about the money he's making now and the other one's about legacy. Jeezy told Gucci Mane, Gucci Mane says, hey, look at what I'm dressed in. I got a $10,000 outfit as they battled each other at Magic City on Instagram, right? Gucci says, I got like a $10,000 outfit. And Jeezy's like, oh, that's great, but I own half of Atlanta. So enjoy your outfit. There's two guys that don't like each other. I guess everything's good now, but they didn't like each other for a while. And then they battled each other and put their best songs against one another, their whole albums uh there are some of their greatest hits against one another it's a really interesting concept i'm surprised it's free for all of us on instagram you know it, because some of the stuff i'd pay for a battle between one or the other but uh there's been a number of these and it's been kind of fun to watch the battles for um uh with these musical artists all right lots to talk about here um first of all want to talk a little bit about the bulls draft because now, watching the Bulls draft and watching what the NBA did, first of all, let's talk a little bit about um, the Bulls because the Bulls drafted Patrick Williams with the fourth pick of the draft. When Anthony Edwards, James Wiseman, LaMelo Baldwin, Patrick Williams, went forward to the Bulls. I am just amazed at how many people get on social media and just talk shit about stuff they don't know about. It's crazy, right? It's like... So Patrick Williams gets drafted and Bulls Nation, not everybody, but a lot of people are just like, this guy's a bust. I cannot believe this. With the anger of a thousand sons, there's people coming after Patrick Williams. I have not seen one game of Patrick Williams at Florida State. Not one game, but yet because Patrick Williams wasn't on their little mock draft or Patrick Williams uh, wasn't a guy that they're familiar with, then he's a bust. I get so tired of this nonsense. I really do. We get this with the NFL draft. We get this with the NBA draft as well. If they don't pop up in your mock draft or you didn't see them on SportsCenter, then I guess that means they're a bust, right? No. No. They're not a bust. Um, the The idea that Patrick Williams gets drafted by the Bulls as someone that Connor Karnaschovas really wanted and Patrick Williams falls to four— the hope is, is that Patrick Williams can develop into something. But ultimately, if you really take a close look at what's going on with the Bulls, it's not even about Patrick Williams. It's about the core that's already there. And it's about how the team can build with free agency. People just get all up in arms, just like, oh, God, I can't believe it's a reach, it's a bust. You don't know. I love the experts that come out. Like I could open up the phone lines on the morning show and be like, hey, who are your top 10 players you look, you look forward to for this upcoming college football Season or the upcoming college basketball season. They would have no clue, no idea. Then we get to draft time, then everyone is an expert. Meanwhile, for college football, I'm watching every Saturday. I host a college football show. I talk to people. I read. Well, college basketball, um, calling the UIC Flames. I'm involved with college basketball. Talk to people around college basketball to get ready for the draft. You know, I get involved in these things that way. I'm ready for the draft and nights like we had this past Uh, Wednesday. So it's just it's so ridiculous. People look at the Bulls and Patrick Williams like, oh, it's just like they were. Here's what I will tell you. I would rather have Karnaschovas and Eversley and this new group coming in, taking a look at the Bulls draft, then going back to Gar and Pax's ass. I know that's for sure. So ridiculous. People just look for things to get angry about, and this is a new time for the Chicago Bulls. And so why can't we just be happy with what the Bulls have been doing, right? I'm happy with what the Bulls are doing because at least it's a new head coach that's a top-shelf coach in Billy Donovan. And you've got two guys that know basketball. They'll put a new spin on things. And at the usual, the same old, same old that we saw from Gar packs Pax. So... I'm not going to tell Bulls fans to be patient. I'm not going to tell you how to be a fan, but I know as a fan for me, I'm going to be patient watching to see how this develops because I can see this team as a perennial playoff team in the next couple of years uh, and making some noise, especially as soon as Giannis leaves Milwaukee, (laughs) if that happens, right? So as far as the overall draft, real quick, I'm not really knocked out by any draft pick. I don't think there is a consensus number one in this draft we saw a couple days ago. Uh, Anthony Edwards went to Georgia, I think he's a good player, I don't know if he's the number one pick in the draft, I know he was on draft night, but I don't know if ultimately he's going to be the best player out of that draft at number one, does he deserve that position, we will see. I know people are tripping on him because he said, I'm not really into basketball, I'm into football because you can express yourself more, and I thought that was funny. As in, in basketball, you can't express yourself. Uh, has he watched any NBA games? Has he watched any college games? So I think it's funny. Anthony says, I'm not really into basketball. And then he becomes a timberwolf, the number one draft pick. How about that? But I do like James Wiseman because of the size. You know, even in a guard-oriented NBA where everything is about the three-point shooting and guard play, man, James Wiseman's size is still very good. Uh, when he has a 7-foot wingspan, and the dude can do a lot of things. you know, I'm not saying that he's going to be the best guy in the draft, but I like the upside of James Wiseman, and he's in a perfect spot with the Warriors. We'll talk about Golden State in just a second. LaMelo Ball is going to be interesting. When Michael Jordan busts that ass, he's going to see him in practice, and it's going to be kind of funny because LaMelo Ball comes in with a lot of pomp and circumstance, and the dude's got, you know, millions of followers on instagram which is cool but you know with him being part of the hornets i think it's he's in a perfect spot in a small market there's not this the big spotlight on him in chicago or new york or la he's in charlotte with michael jordan now that team's not going anywhere but the point is is that Lamelo ball can be able to slowly learn And I know that he's an elite passer, that is for sure. But that was on the international level. Does he do that in the NBA level? How does that transfer? And his shot is broke. Uh, He's got to be able to figure that out too. None of these guys are really uh, terrific shooters or top-line shooters. So, you know, I look forward to seeing how the development of these players are. Like, I'm not knocked out by a lot of these guys, but it's all about development. Where are they in three years? Uh, I don't see an all-star amongst these guys in the top eight, top nine through the first couple of years, but eventually they will develop. Um, and then there's Patrick Williams, people are tripping on Pat because he came off the bench and he was part of a quick rotation for Florida State. That's how Leonard Hamilton was doing things, you know, as the head coach for Florida State. That guy still can do a lot of great things. Just go to YouTube, look for Patrick Williams highlights. I think that many would be impressed. There's a reason why he was went for, um, so. I look forward to seeing how these young guys develop. As I mentioned, there's no Zion Williamson. There's not even a John Morant in the top 15 that I see in the draft. Tyrese Halliburton and Okongwu, who went to the Hawks, Okoro. I see some guys that could be in the league for 10 or 15 years. I I see that. I can see that. Uh, But as far as superstar potential, not yet. But we will see. So, let me see. Um, oh, let me get to Klay Thompson. So sad, Klay Thompson, right? So, we am coming to find out that Klay Thompson is trying to ramp up his workouts to make sure that he's ready for the opening of the season and do gets hurt. He's going to be out for the year. It's the other leg, ACL. That is so terrible for him. Klay Thompson's Achilles tear is obviously devastating to Thompson himself, and the basketball world feels his pain for sure. Um, Thompson is nearly a folk hero in the Bay Area and beyond, and now he's got a, a torn a, uh, Achilles heel. say ACL, Achilles heel. Um, God, it's so bad. He was working out in Southern California on Wednesday, and then that's where he tore it while he was trying to work out, getting ready for the season. Remember, he was a—he's a five-time All-Star. Missed the entire 2019-20 season after uh, suffering a torn ACL in his left knee uh, during Game Six of the 2019 NBA Finals against the Raptors. I remember that because I remember he tore his ACL and then had went back to the went to the locker room, came back out, shot the free throws, and then pedaled back into the defense. It was like, okay, here we go, and then. Uh, Steve Kerr called timeout, was like, I don't know, you can't be out here. But Clay was going to play anyway, even though he was in dire pain with that torn ACL. He did what his instincts normally would tell him, right? Shoot the free throws, get back on defense. And that's what he did. And so the coaching staff was like, yeah, man, you can't play. (laughs) You got a torn ACL, and he's going to play on it anyway. Ah, I feel so bad for him. Gordon Hayward is now a free agent. Tell me how crazy this is, right? Hey, I don't blame the man for betting on himself, but Gordon Hayward opted out of his $34 million deal and is going to be a free agent with the Celtics. Someone's going to pay him more. Now, Hayward originally signed a four-year, $127.8 million contract with Boston in 2017. After playing his first seven years with Utah, his first game, he had that gruesome leg injury that cost him his initial season. But he had an option, and he he's opting out of the Celtics. Is someone going to pay Gordon Hayward more than $34 million? For real? He is not the same player he was before the injury. So I think that that's... Uh, that's a little strange. So I don't, I don't get that at all. Uh, but he opted out, so he's better on himself. So someone's going to pay Gordon Hayward. It just won't be the Celtics. At least that's what I'm finding out. Um, a couple other things too. Um, Avery Bradley, the Lakers. He declined his five million dollar player option. He's going to be a nice player for somebody. Um, just looking through here. The Bucks, that's why I want to get to the Milwaukee Bucks. So the Milwaukee Bucks made some wholesale changes to try to get better in the offseason, try to find a way to uh, solidify themselves as the number one team in the East. Remember, they fell short and was underachieved in the bubble. Um, people thought that you know Giannis was destined to be able to be in the finals possibly, Uh, I didn't pick him there. I had Toronto going to the finals, and that fell short. Um, And Miami got there, and they deserved it, rightfully so. But um, Milwaukee's doing all they can to be able to have Giannis stay, and they made some changes with the team, and I still don't think that they are better. Um, And so that's, I I think they're going to be good. But, so on Wednesday, there was a sign and trade that was initially reported by ESPN on Monday and would have sent restricted free agent Bogdan Bogdanovich to Milwaukee for Dante DiVincenzo, Ilya Sova, and DJ Wilson. It unraveled in the most uncomfortable of ways. After all, such a deal is tough to pull off when you get got all these rules in the NBA. Uh, once the deal that allegedly wasn't fell apart, you knew things... We're not going in the right direction. So the uh, there was a league investigation and the deal that they wanted to pull off is not happening now. So, you know, Adam Acumpo is someone where I've always said, Well, the dude's not part of the AAU culture, so maybe he will want to stay in Milwaukee. You now a lot of guys like to be able to hopscotch around the country to try to find their uh, uh, to try to increase their chances to win a championship. And I don't know if Giannis is one of those dudes. Many are in the NBA, but is Giannis that dude that says, yeah, you know, Milwaukee is not the spot for me right now. They're not trying to win a championship. I I feel like all the pressure's on me, so I'm going to go someplace else. Some players do that, right? Russell Westbrook, James Harden. <laughs> Some players do that, right? So we'll see what happens with that, but I see Milwaukee trying to do what they can to get better offensively, get more production around Giannis. And now that deal fell apart. So we'll see how that all uh, develops for the Milwaukee Bucks. Uh, it's unclear who the Bucks will pursue in the free agency, but you know, they're going to be aggressive, right? They're going to be aggressive, but I I still look for that Robin and that third person to really help Giannis along. Drew Holiday is a nice player. But is Drew Holiday really a difference-making player? They they are coveting Drew Holiday like he's a top-ten player, Milwaukee. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Um, something else, too. You're going to hear from Theo Epstein in just a moment. Theo Epstein is uh, calling it quits. He's leaving the Cubs organization a year early. So with the Cubs, the Cubs are in trouble right now. Cubs are in trouble. I remember the year the Cubs won the World Series, and I was at our State Street studios and I was looking up at the monitor and watching, waiting to come on the air because I was working with Ben Finfer and we were doing the post game because we knew either Cubs were going to win or lose in game seven, but we were going to be there for post game coverage, right? And I remember seeing. Just scores of people standing outside of our studios because you could see through at the window, right? And so um, people are looking through the window at the game. And then when the Cubs won the World Series, it was so electric. So many people on the streets were just dancing and honking their horns as cars were going by. So happy that the Cubs won the World Series. It's something I wasn't sure I'd ever see in my lifetime. And then when I did see it, just the feeling that Cub fans had, like that monkey off their back, like, God, we finally did it, right? We finally won the World Series. As a Sox fan, as a Chicago sports fan, I'm elated, too, because it's a great Chicago sports moment, right? I don't have to be a Cubs fan to feel the emotion and how great that was um, to see the Chicago Cubs win the World Series. Um, Personally, I've never been like this Cubs hater. The reason why... If I have a problem with the Cubs, it's usually when they take on the White Sox. Otherwise, I'm fine with the Cubs because I always think it's bad for business to be a Sox fan and then just shit on the Cubs the whole time. Like, that's counterproductive. The Cubs don't play in the America League Central, so I don't worry about them. I I worry about them in their division and see how they develop because I think their story is interesting. But I continue to hear out of Clark and Addison how they are losing money. And, you know, the Cubs are just not the ballpark anymore and the bars around there because the Ricketts family owns so much property around there. All those revenue streams are dried up during COVID. All, all those revenue streams are dried up. No one's going in bars there or going to the little farmer's market or, you know, during the pandemic, nobody was allowed at Wrigley. So, you know, they're losing a lot of money, tons of money. So if I were the Cubs, what I would do is, is that I would pair back payroll and try to be able to get younger. Here's the thing about Theo Epstein, and I respect Theo. You'll hear his full conversation with uh, David Kaplan and I in just a moment. But the point is that Theo comes into town and knows how to spend your money the right way, put yourself in a position to try to win a championship and he will do that. But then when you are bereft of quality in the minor league system, how are you supposed to grow? The Dodgers found a way to win the World Series and still have young talent in the minor league system. Cubs don't have that. So that that's um, that's a problem. So It is a, it's a major problem. So I, I don't know. I think that when we see Theo Epstein come in, win a World Series, if you're a Cubs fan, you'll take it, right? You got your one championship. You had sustained success for a while. But the next few years, if you are the Cubs and realize, like, okay, well, we can't contend, but we have all these assets that other teams would covet, like you, Darvish or Chris Bryant, or Javi Baez, or Anthony Rizzo, or Contreras, or, you know, those type of players. I think you have to consider dealing to try to get better with your minor league system. Now, here's the thing. You could try to get prospects, but you may not get top line guys. It might take a while. Like, as a White Sox fan, I know this, right? It took a decade, almost, for the Sox to be in a position to contend and succeed, and now you saw this past season, they went to the playoffs. So, I don't know. It is a slippery slope, but it's just not an easy fix, though, for the Cubs. So, be happy with the World Series. The Cubs should have been able to contend. I've never seen a ball club went through a three-year slump offensively. It was bad. It was bad. Embarrassing. Dudes couldn't even score three runs or more, let alone two runs or more in some games. It was a struggle uh, for the uh for the Chicago Cubs I saw a report uh yesterday that the Nationals are interested in Chris Bryant well you know make your best deal but you got to replenish that minor league system you can't replace it with other free agents that think you're going to contend uh that's not going to work so um so we'll hear from Theo in a little bit as I mentioned but I just think that they're the Cubs are in, in trouble here we're going back to 2013 2014 2015 Cubs at least 2013-14 Fifteen, you could see the light at the end of the tunnel, possibly, uh, because you started to see Theo bring the team together. But like when Theo first got here, the team was, the team was a drizzling shits. It was bad. Uh, so now with Theo gone, he saw it too. He's like, wait, the team is broke. I can't spend money on free agents. Um, the team hasn't hit in three years. Yeah, I'm out of here. I'll leave a year early and leave this to Jed Hoyer. <laughs> and then. Next spring and summer, will their fans will fans be there? And if there are no fans there, right? If no no fans there, that means no revenue. So the Cubs might have to go through this next year, and then even then, they're still going to be behind financially because of this past season. So they might have to trade some assets to try to get their minor league system right. That's all I'm saying. Ooh, I'm so happy. The Bears are on a buy. They're on a buy this week, but then again, how can you tell? The offense has been on a bye for weeks now. Probably all season, quite frankly. Quite frankly, they've been on a bye all all season. Whew. I know one thing. This past Thursday, when I saw Thursday Night Football and watched Seattle against Arizona, man, I was so happy to see that football game. Because it's, it wasn't the Bears. And if it sounds like I'm down the Bears, you're right, I'm down the Bears. Because... All my life watching Bears football, I've seen a team that has a good enough defense or an elite defense, and an offense is terrible. This team is cursed when it comes to offense. I don't understand it. <laughs> the football guy said, You will be a great defensive team. That's all you will ever be. Win defensively. Well, that's cool. That would have been great in 2000. This team would have been really stellar in 2000. They would be a strong contender in 2000. You know why? Because it was about defenses not only doing their job, but also scoring and beating teams 12-7, 14-7, stuff like that, right? But, I mean, this nonsense here, it is a struggle. This past Monday night when the Bears lost to the Vikings, lost four in a row into the bye, slip sliding away. Just bad. Bad football. I'm looking at the schedule for this upcoming Sunday. And Kansas City against the Las Vegas Raiders seems like a good game. That's top of the line. Let me see. I like that game. I also like Tennessee and Baltimore. We'll see what Lamar has to to give against Tennessee's defense at home. That should be a good game. New England at Houston is interesting because it's Cam against uh, Deshaun Watson. We'll see what that game looks like. And um, that's about it, I guess. In the Monday night game, Tampa uh, will entertain the L.A. Rams. So that'll be an interesting game on Monday night, but... Man, it's going to be good to see some good football. No Bears. Just to see offenses that are electric, moving the football down the field. Plays. Bears are just so bad. You know, there's a stat out there about the Bears and the Jets and how they have similar numbers offensively. That's bad, man. And the Jets haven't won a game this year. <laughs> so it's just it's just really, really horrible. Um, lastly... Before we hear from Theo Epstein, on the 28th of November will be the first time for me, as far as we know, UIC Flames Basketball against Trinity International. That'll be my first game that I will do for the college basketball season. It's a slippery slope, though, because of COVID-19. There's been so many games and college football that have been postponed. We're getting close to the 100-game mark as far as postponements for COVID-19. It's dangerous, people. I don't have to tell you. How dangerous COVID nineteen is! Just open up your phone, and uh, I, the thing that's really tripped out to me about this country, well, there's a lot of things, but when it comes to this pandemic, you know, this is um, this whole thing is not political. COVID nineteen should not be political. It's about science. Everything's not political. Everything is not democratic and Republican. It's not about Democrats and Republicans when it comes to safety. Every time we have people fighting on Instagram to try to get into a Walmart without a mask, it just shows you the selfishness of this country. If you're a selfish person, then you're a prick. You should not be selfish, right? Even if you're one of these people that like to isolate yourself from people and and you feel like you are a loner, okay, that's great. But you can't be putting people in harm's way because you feel like your freedoms are taken away from you because you want to be an anti-masker. Well, look, nobody wants to be around you and, and sucking up your germs when we're trying to lower the curve in this pandemic. I keep seeing all these numbers and whether you believe in the numbers or not, people are dying. There's people all around me at work that have suffered with it. There's family. It's, I've said this many times. I've had a family member die because of COVID-19, a young person. So it just it's uh, it's so many selfish people. Yeah, you know, it's like you turn you cut the light on and watch the roaches scatter. Right? And those are the people that are selfish. This whole thing with COVID nineteen is dangerous, but yet oh no, you can't do this. You're taking away my freedoms. I want I want my life back like it was and you know, a couple of years ago. Well life is different. At this point in time it's different. And I'm willing to adjust. A lot of selfish people that cannot adjust to what's going on right now, and they're exposing themselves. It, it really exposes the lack of will and the lack of humanity of a lot of people that say, yeah, I don't care if I get COVID-19. If I die, I die. OK, that's good for you. But what about the next person? That's because a lot of people don't care about the next person. This is why they build 12 and 15 feet fences in their yard so they don't have to see anybody and isolate themselves. And that's cool. But don't get other people sick because you don't understand the enormity and how serious it is when people are or bodies are stacked up in trucks and stacked up like cornwood, you know, of, of people that have passed away. You know, you know, people don't care about the people that are working in hospitals trying to get people well. They don't care about that. They only care about their own lives. And so it just um, that's not surprising, but it just reveals the lack of character of a lot of people. Not understanding that COVID-19 is real and that you should have a mask to make sure that you don't get someone else sick. But a lot of people don't give give a damn about that because there's a lot of selfish people. And I think we've all known that, but now you see it all the time now. Now you really know. So as I mentioned, I'll be doing college basketball with the UIC Flames with Chris Black. I look forward to doing that. And that's all those games, by the way, is gonna be on ESPN Plus. ESPN plus. So if you have that, look for UIC basketball and you'll see Chris and I doing these games. As long as uh, the players are healthy, there'll be games. They'll move forward uh, for college basketball. Cause the season is here. It's going to start next week. We talked to Tom Izzo this week on cap and J hood. It was great to hear from Tom Izzo. Um, Tom is dealing with COVID-19 is in his basement. He hasn't been with his team in two weeks. He didn't sound good either. So all the best to the Izzo from, uh, Michigan State so I really feel bad because he didn't he came on to wish my partner David Kaplan a happy 60th birthday uh, and he didn't sound great so hopefully he gets better and everyone gets better out there if you're dealing with COVID-19 that is for sure. Um, Happy Thanksgiving to you and your family hope all is well with you and your family moving forward I know it's a different one Uh, uh, my wife and I will not be with family for the first time in forever Uh, For Thanksgiving, but we'll be at the crib because we understand that there's a virus out there. I'm not trying to die, and she's not either. And we're not trying to get sick either and not trying to make anyone else sick. So we'll make do. We'll try to find a way. As long as I got crown and a turkey, I think I'm going to be fine. (laughs) I think we're going to be just fine. All right, y'all. So Theo Epstein, let's get to that. Theo Epstein was a guest on Cap and J. Hood. Uh, On ESPN 1000, our morning show, uh, Theo had a lot of thoughts about what's going on with the Chicago Cubs and Major League Baseball. i tried to press him on him trying to figure out what he's going to do now he parts from the Cubs. That man sounded like he might be looking at another baseball team to bless another team to try to win a championship with. So our conversation here with Theo Epstein, and as always, happy Thanksgiving. Hope you have a safe holiday. And as always, I appreciate you listening to Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood, our podcast. We try to do every weekend. And uh, look forward to you listening to Kappa J Hood mornings between 7 and 10. We're having a blast. And we'll put in the description of this podcast, by the way, um, the link to the podcast so you can follow along and, ch- and check it out Uh, We're doing some crazy shit, but we're having fun with it as well. So thanks so much. Happy Thanksgiving, everybody, and uh, we'll talk soon on Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood. Here's our conversation with the former president of baseball operations for the Cubs, Theo Epstein.
1: All right, let's go. morning cap morning jay hood i feel great i mean yesterday it couldn't have gone better um i'm completely at peace with the decision actually kind of thrilled with it with with the way it all went down it's just rare these days that uh you you get everyone on the same page um to have a, a succession plan like this and that you leave on great terms and you know the things that were said to me by by coworkers, and um, just the outpouring of, of love both ways um, really underscores, that they how special uh, things were here. Not 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 necessarily just results, but how we went about it. We were always there for each other. I think um, so many people made a huge impact on me, made me better, and um, hopefully I had, had an impact on a lot of people along the way too. And and uh, we care so much about our fans. They were so good to us. So coming through for them, ultimately, with a championship means a ton to us.
0: But, Theo, it could be a, a gut feeling. It could be something that when you talk to family about it, everyone goes to a crossroads. When did you know the time was right? What day? What time?
1: Uh, you know, it was we were using October 21 as uh, sort of default. Um, that's when my contract was up, although that was never going to be, you um, sort of prohibitive either way um and then this summer you know things changed obviously in the world and they certainly changed in the industry and so therefore they they changed in our organization as well and uh you know it became clear that we were going to be faced with some decisions this winter that that carried long-term impacts it was clear that you know, we we were for at least a year um, going to be working with some reduced resources just because of what happened to our revenues. That's that's across the game, and then you know it also became clear that Ted was ready. And you put those things together, and I, I never want to be in a spot where I'm more of a of, of a of a burden than a help, or where I'm a hindrance, or where there's an awkward fit. And it just, I think, the logic behind it was was compelling, and then uh as i thought about it i i was completely at peace with it emotionally as well because I, I i felt like we had done what we set out to do the organization is in really good shape i know there are obvious um short-term concerns at the big league level with, with some of the things we're dealing with with this winter um and the upper levels of the farm system aren't exactly stacked right now but the bones are great like we the Redesign and scouting and player development went incredibly well. We're doing some groundbreaking things that really results in really, really encouraging the systems on the rise. Kids more than ready to take over. It's a talented front office. Rossi, I think, is going to be here a long, long time and do an outstanding job. And we've got a ton of talent on the roster coming up, you know, coming back that want a division that we can either use on the field or in trade. So it just logic made sense. I was great fine with it emotionally. And then the last part was making sure, you know, Tom, Saw it the same way, and we could get everyone on board and pull off what happened yesterday.
2: When did when you arrived here and you didn't know any of us? And boy, you know you're a Boston guy, and you won two titles. And now you're coming to the lovable losers of the Chicago Cubs. When you hit the ground and got your hands dirty, was it what you expected? Or no? Now that I'm out of there, when I got here, it was a little different than maybe I thought
1: I was getting into. Yeah, it's funny you ask that, you know, uh, cause I was, I was, I wrote a little bit about that, um, just kind of getting my thoughts together, uh, over the last couple of weeks when I got here, it felt so foreign. Um, I didn't expect it to, you know, just, uh, you know, two, two major markets. Um, I've been to Chicago plenty of times, expected it to feel more familiar, but Chicago, the Cubs, Cubs fans all felt really foreign, um, I was thinking back to that first press conference, like I was, if you watch clips of that, I was speaking, in was like monotone, because I wasn't totally comfortable. Um, I I toured Wrigley the day before, it was gray, it looked awful, there was plywood everywhere. It wasn't how I remember it, Cubs fans. The sensibilities, like um, the traditions, everything was unfamiliar to me. uh, Whereas when I took over the Red Sox, that was already in my blood. And now you fast forward, nine years later and you know Chicago is home absolutely for our family The the, the Cubs and their fans um are, are like an extended family and all I know all the traditions I feel like I have got the same heartbeat as as Cubs fans and now when I think of Wrigley Field you know I don't think of <laughs> that gray day with the plywood I think of you know a sun-filled beautiful afternoon games, sitting in the stands, watching our players go out and win a game and, and uh, you know, enjoying everything that comes with being a Cubs fan. So it's been quite a transformation that way. Theo, is there something
0: that surprised you about Chicago versus Boston, whether it's the media, the fans, the culture? Can you can you talk about both and what's similar and what's different?
1: Yeah, you know, the, the biggest difference for me is just um, the... Certain personality, the fan base um, that I think relates to the different sensibilities in the different parts of the country. You know, Boston is, um, you know, comes from like puritanical roots and is kind of an overly serious at times place. And I can, because I'm from there, I can say that without getting in trouble. And, and and kind of can be cynical, especially as they relate to their sports teams. And, you know, even even if your team has, like, you're sitting at Family Park, Red Sox might be in first place. I'd have a five-run lead, but if a reliever comes in the seventh inning, throws you know ball one, ball two, it's like the sky's falling, and you could hear the hiss through the crowd. And here, it's just even when the team is in last place and losing, um, but you're at Wrigley, you're having a good time, you've got a cocktail, um, Eric one, and, and you're with your friends. It, it seemed like everything was okay and it was optimistic, and as long as the team was hustling, things were okay. And that, that obviously started to change as expectations um uh Grew and as a, with with performance that that changed a little bit, but I still think it's it's just true the difference between sort of that sensibility back in Boston and this Midwestern sensibility here is reflected in the general optimism of the fan base here. I'm not saying one is better or worse because I love them both, but definitely different personality.
2: So we were asking you know what what are you going to be remembered for obviously november 2nd 2016 that's the greatest night of my sports life because that's my team that courses through my veins but i think the thing that is bigger for me from the seat of a cubs fan and someone who's covered this team for darn near 30 years i hate the st louis cardinals and they always had that freaking cardinal way and Got to hit behind a runner, they're going to do it. Got to get it bumped up, they're going to do it, and we're going to find a way to screw it up. And then I sat and talked to Jason McLeod, and he said, you got to ask Theo about the dinner on Valentine's Day when we were putting the first iteration of the Cubs way together. He goes, we go to dinner. I'm going to let you take it from there, because that's before anything got built.
1: Yeah, so it was was right before the first... uh board meeting that we had in February of 2012, and it was was probably overly ambitious, but I I thought, you know, this is our chance to get everyone together in the organization, all 120 or so people in scouting and player development. We need to to cover every single detail of how we're going to play the game, how we're going to teach the game, what we're going to look for in players, what kind of makeup we're going to value, everything. We need to get it all written down. So... Of course we were scrambling to finish, uh, cause that's quite a daunting task to, to get done in, in, in a, in a matter of a couple months. And so it was the night before the meeting, um, I think it was like, it was February 14th. Um, we we're in Arizona. The meeting started nine o'clock the next day. So we still had, uh, i think we had to finish up base running or something and, and, um, so I, I, I grab Jason, his running player development, say, Let, let's, let's go out to dinner. We'll finish, we'll, we'll have a working dinner. We'll finish it up we'll work on opening remarks too. So we go to a restaurant and, uh, looks pretty crowded. A lot of couples. The hostess is there. She kind of sees the two of us, gives us a nice smile and asks if we, you know, if we want a table for two. We say yes. She said, oh, I have this nice table over here. She seats us. So then we sit for like two hours. We're, Sitting next to each other, grinding on this work, have a good dinner, get up to leave, and she um, escorts us out of the restaurant. We look around, we realize with all these couples that it's, uh, it's Valentine's Day. That's why there are all the couples out there. As we're leaving, she just says, I have to tell you guys, you just make such a cute couple. <laughs> <laughs>
2: that is awesome you're like oh my god we were here yeah. working they thought we were together <laughs>
1: so yeah we were dying we were dying laughing But that we, i think i told that story the next morning at the at the off the org meetings and it, it broke the ice pretty well with everybody theo when did you know uh that the
0: organization was turning the corner for good you know before we got here, the Cubs would win a championship here in '84, win in '89, and they would just be so few and far in between. But there had to be a turning point. We say, "Yeah, you know what? We're going in the right direction." When was that for you?
1: Um, I think it, it manifested on the field, um, probably in 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 the last couple months of '14. Um, there there was a stretch there where. We called, up, we called up Javi, we called up Solaire, and then um, and Hendricks, and, and Hendricks started to pitch really well. And then, um, and then we had that game in Cincinnati where Chapman threw over Rizzo's head and uh, or threw over Baker's head, and then Rizzo challenged, the, stormed over and challenged the entire Reds dugout. That was where I felt like we kind of grew up a little bit mm-hmm. as a team. We're serious. We played pretty good baseball. I think played at least oh, 500 or maybe a tick above the last two months and having those guys up and playing well, um, having, you know, our, our young star potential players go from prospects to young big leaguers allowed us to then do a little bit better sales job with, uh, the Joe Madden's and John Lester's of the world, um, that winter. And and so I think that was, that was an, inter- an important turning point. And then, um, around that same time i think too the we made that as a muscle trade july third or july fourth of that year that summer and that was when we made that deal we thought it felt like we had just made our last deal um for a while where we'd have to um move you know key veterans for for prospects and that hey pretty. i think we said like we're gonna start losing you know we just want all these deals because it's kind of easy to win deals when you're uh when you're trading veterans for young players that we're probably going to, we have to all get comfortable, probably going to lose, make some deals that are uncomfortable deals. We'll, we'll probably lose, but they're going to help us win on the field because we knew we were going to start to get competitive in a hurry. So you get
2: to the World Series and I was talking to Rossi and he said, I'll be honest with you, when Rajay Davis hits the home run, the first thing in my mind went, oh God, there's a curse. There's absolutely a curse. Ben Zobras th- said the I exact were same thing. you the
1: first thing in his mind went, going to be tested me because he, for calling 14 straight heaters
2: correct he said i never could ever call any sliders what went through your mind at that moment you're sitting there with your son and i think he's like a math whiz dad here's the <laughs> odds of what we're gonna do well it's 86 whatever it is and your wife's sitting there but the cubs still have not gotten over that hurdle what goes through your mind that moment
1: yeah, I mean it was. Yeah, you know, we were. I was pretty wrapped up in that at bat in the dynamics of that that at bat because um, I felt like he he was just out if you if you just if he spun any slider he's he's out or even you know he also had a paint up he was just so geared up for fastball and was cheating so bad to. To get to it, um, Jed, Jed was was uh, a few seats over, and we were, we were kind of looking at each other out of the corner of our eye and motioning, you know, doing the little slider motion, and be like, let's just get this, just throw something other than the heater, and get this at bat over with. So we were, and, and that bat went on so long that by the end of it, we were, even before he hit the homer, we were we were kind of like seething, and, and that's common, like you you know you you just that's how you watch games, right? Um, is second guessing everything, and, and then when he when he hit the homer, it was like just. Couldn't believe it, um, and yeah, of course, there's an element of here we go again, and you know, I, I didn't think curse, but I just think like God, this cannot, this cannot be happening to us. Like, why does it have to be so difficult? And you know, and the place is going crazy. So at that at that point, you know, it's it's hard to it's hard to on the road to to blow a big lead in a game that you've been you've been winning the whole time and come back and win. So I felt pretty pessimistic until. Yeah, I saw what I saw during the rain delay, and that kind of changed everything.
0: Theo, as you move away from the game for a while, you know, you and I are around the same age, and we saw baseball as, as kids where you, you saw the game move a little quicker, where you saw guys on the base pass, you know, a lot of stolen bases, a lot of hit and run, just a lot of things that keep the game moving. So as you take a look at baseball now moving forward, what are some of the things that baseball can do to improve the on-field product? That is an issue, is it not?
1: Yeah, it is. I mean, there's no doubt, you know, that a lot of the, the work that's been done um, by people, you know, in, in my position to try to optimize individual performance and team performance has had a pretty big negative impact on the entertainment value of the game and on the aesthetic value of the game. There's not too many people who go to the ballpark and say, hey, I, I don't want to see the ball in play. Like, I'm here for the strikeouts and walks. It's just, <laughs> sure, like, stri- strikeouts are great and, you know, you I remember watching Roger Clemens' 20 strikeout game, and everyone here saw Kerry Wood's 20 strikeout game. Like that, that's great, but you don't want it to be such a fundamental part of the game that um, you know 20 percent of plate appearances, which is a threshold we're pushing towards in baseball, and in a strikeout. So, I think the the biggest thing is to get more action back in the game. You have, you have to get the strikeout rate under control, and you can do that through a combination of. Um, Certain um, making things a little bit harder on pitchers and changing hitters' incentives away from all or nothing power strikeout approaches and towards towards the ball ball and play so and baseball um, ultimately will control like a lot of the variables that that um, you can uh, you can adjust to, to make a little bit of difference in the style and play and by that I mean, the playing rules, the dimensions of the playing field, the equipment, uh, the, the strike zone, the properties of the ball itself, and so I think, yeah, you know, they're and they're hard at work on this, and I'm, I'm really optimistic that there's going to be some change. And I, I think there's, there's broad consensus that uh, the trends in the game are, are are troubling, and that if we can get the ball and play more, put the game back into the players' hands a little bit less, you know, the gameplay itself less less uh dictated by by the front office the whole organization more about the players and what's going on in the dugout bring athleticism back and and to encourage athleticism and and change incentives for general managers to to value athletic players more you want to encourage ball and play rules that promote the ball and play you want to encourage rules that promote base running and, and 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 um you know, outfield defense, things along those lines, and you can you can legislate towards all those things slowly and gradually over time without without it, without doing it in such a dramatic fashion that it uh, you know is an interruption to the game or a distraction or changes the game that we all love so much. There you go, there you go, Cap. You the go. stolen base is back. Yes,
2: that's right. Here we go. We're yep. back to the 80s again. Here it, we go. Get back to it. So, <laughs> Theo Epstein's our guest here on Cap J Hood on ESPN 1000. Theo, how much change do you think is truly on the horizon? Because when you arrived, you were very transparent. Hey, man, it's going to take time. Let us build this. And you once said to me, we were doing a season ticker holder event. Just get me to 2017. And it came faster than you thought. How much change <laughs> do you think is on the horizon?
1: yeah first of all it's not not my place to say but it it just depends on a lot of things you know a lot some of it just depends on um how well we do as as a country uh trying to mitigate the spread of of the virus and then uh, mobilizing the the vaccines as quickly as possible and that's obviously something that we all want to see for for myriad reasons um most importantly, the, the health and welfare um, of, of everyone in this country. Um, but the, the quicker that happens, and the quicker fans are back in, in ballparks, and, and, and revenues start to, well, life returns to normal, which is what we need. But then, you know, revenues also ultimately return back to normal, and you know the degree to which you can project that I think impacts every team um, across baseball. So the more normal looks, the more normal an offseason you can have, and. And and the more representative team you can you you could you're, you could probably put together or put on the field you're, you're the stronger your plans can be so that's that's the biggest variable and then you know all the other variables apply to the the trade market the free agent market you know you it's just now really starting across baseball trying to figure out uh, with the tender deadline coming and then meetings after that and free agency kicking in is you know how how are your players valued out there in the game and what what possibilities are open to you. So Jed and the front office will do a very thorough uh, very
0: thoughtful job of sorting through all those possibilities. Yeah, I, I want to. I want you to measure for us the level of frustration that you might have had with this Cubs team the last two or three years. Because I've never seen a good team struggle so much offensively. You could just throw the lineup out there and say, why can't uh, can't these guys be able to give you what you need offensively? So, how do you look at the last three years, and how do you look at the Cubs moving forward when you have? This ineptitude offensively a lot in the last few years.
1: Yeah, I mean, look, it's not fair for me to sit here and say you know, I'm frustrated at their performance. I mean, I, I I'm accountable for that. So, just frustration with myself as well. Um, you know, it, it it it, but it but it we we did underperform. You know, if you sit there and look at paper, look on paper. You know, right now, you know, this group still. Still projects to be, you know, a, a solid offense, and we should be. But we can't necessarily rely on that because it hasn't proven out that way. And you know, with, it, with, with the players that we have, and, and with the progression in their career, and, and all of them moving into their primes, we always thought, you know, by the time we got to um, this stage where, where they're in their primes, just based on the talent, based on what they'd already done the first couple of years of their career, that we'd have. You know a powerhouse group of position players and that we'd be scrambling to figure out the pitching year to year um that was which is something that we've actually been able to do we've had the second best pitching in baseball since 2015 um but the the group of position players it never all came together at the same time and and um i take responsibility for that but yeah having you know having to go out and Supplement the offense with a significant move each year was not something I anticipated. having to do, you know, the the deals for the Daniel Murphys and Nick Castellanos of the world, um, and then the, the struggles down the stretch. Despite that, um, that's something we didn't anticipate. And if you know, and but we have to, you know, obviously have to learn from it going forward. But if he, you know, if you told me that, um, you know, all these players that. And maybe struggle down the stretch and, and are the source of a lot of frustration I know for our fans because um, it hasn't come together that they that they, from this point forward, whether it's here or somewhere else, absolutely go off and, and reach their potential and play in a lot of all-star games and win MVPs and silver sluggers across the diamonds like it, it would not surprise me in the least because they are that talented. in
2: terms of leaving the Cubs, would you ever consider? another sport so whether it was the bears or another team in football if they called you and said theo we'd like you to be president of our team
1: would you consider another sport well i you know i have too much respect for what it takes to um you know the, the decades of of work and experience that go into developing expertise in a given sport Ever say yes to that? I just, um, I think it would be sort presumptuous. Oh. Oh, I think we lost. You know, I'd never rule anything out. It's a long, it's a long life, and I do love these other sports. So, you know, look, I, I, I'd never rule anything out, but I just think that, um, it can, the, the premise of that question vastly underestimates, um, how important it is to fully immerse yourself in every element of player evaluation and 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 team composition in another sport before you can be an effective player personnel person in that industry.
0: Theo, is there something in baseball that you'd love to accomplish that you haven't yet
1: uh, yeah, I mean winning I guess winning a World Series as a third team would be I mean, that's, that would be the goal. Like when if I get the back end is I don't even know if someone's done that or not um but i'd I'd like obviously that's something that i'd like to do but you know i'm not completely results um oriented you know as i you know when you sit and reflect about what's important in life like that's that's the obvious answer but i've been very fortunate obviously i've had people give me opportunities and people believe in me and then you know, been able to work in a couple of front offices where the culture that developed was one of trust, transparency, um, connection, collaboration, fun, and um, and I was privileged to you know sit atop those organizations and be in a role where I could make sure I had everyone's back and provide some shelter for them and give them room to roam and room to make mistakes and and and. and grow and then room to, room to flourish and dominate and, and see them develop and, and move on as top executives too so you know maybe maybe you know more important than winning a World Series again somewhere else on the line would be just having the opportunity to, to be part of a culture like that again develop a culture like that and then the older you get the more you see the people who've, who've worked with you uh, and worked for you blossom and go on and do wonderful things. So I'd love to see um, somebody that I helped develop when, win some world series and make a, make a big impact in a, on a fan base as well too. Last thing. So that if you
2: take a macro look, boy there, I'm at my dad's gravesite three or four days after you win the world series. And I'm looking around going, wow, there are Cubs pennants, hats, red and blue flower everywhere. Mm-hmm. That's the macro look. Micro is you and some of your closest confidants putting toilet paper all over the front of Jed Hoyer's house. <laughs> Where does no, that that's rank? That's a rumor. yeah we got video proof. What, is that? Uh, what does that's that mean grainy, to you?
1: That's grainy video, so you can't prove <laughs> the identity of any of those individuals. <laughs> uh, that had to be something.
2: Because of what you've gone through to get to that point, that had to be an amazing
1: moment. Uh... What, in Jed Yard? Yes. Yeah, well, Jed, you'll, you'll learn soon enough, as now that he's at the helm, that he, he, can, he can be overly you know, conservative and, and, and never afraid to look out for his self-interest, and he can tend to shut it down early on a night out when you're supposed to be, you know, put on, on behalf of the Cubs having a good time mm-hmm. with your colleagues and building culture he's not afraid to shut it down early and go home so he can get his beauty sleep and, and wake up early in the morning and work out. So if you do that too often, there's, there are usually consequences and a price to be paid. So you, you'll, you'll see how that, you know, you, as you get to know Jed better, you'll, you'll, you'll see his weaknesses, and hopefully you'll work with him to, to improve those.
2: Theo, thank you so much for always being so accessible, so accommodating, and being, most importantly, very, very honest through the good and the bad
1: thanks guys well i've to say i've enjoyed this ride and um it would be a massive understatement it's been you know the thrill of a lifetime and and shows like yours uh help help develop that connection between the fans and the team and give an outlet for people to voice you know all their emotions frustration at times or, or joy at times and um that just adds to that just adds to the richness of the experience. And as I said yesterday, you know, the, one of the special things about Chicago sports and the Cubs experience in particular is that the lines get blurred. You know, between fans, players, front office people, owners, media members, um, and especially with you, Captor, in Game Seven. Gosh, you were rooting really hard, and which is which is awesome, and I love it. But that's what makes it special. We're all those together. No, no, no one wants to try to. Accomplish something in a vacuum. It's um, and this was the opposite of that. This was this, this this was an entire city, an entire fan base with the organization doing something special and experiencing it together. So um, we'll never forget it and appreciate uh, everyone caring so much because that's what made it special. Thanks, guys.